So as I said on the last episode, we are going to start Digital Workplace Impact with a little moment of digital workplace inspiration, courtesy of our new first ever sponsor, WorkGrid Software. Now, what is fascinating to me about the WorkGrid story is that Liberty Mutual, the large financial services company, formed WorkGrid in order to turn their own internal digital workplace platform into a commercially available service. And I see this quite a lot where organizations create fantastic software for their own employees and other people would like to buy that and then they don't do anything with it. The bit of inspiration for this episode is use your imagination and innovation. Is there something inside your own organization that could be turned into an entrepreneurial startup that other people might enjoy and benefit from? I see lots of opportunities for others to follow the lead set by WorkGrid and Liberty Mutual here and bring these digital workplace innovations to market now for today's show. When they stress tested some quite early practices for us, it worked. They learnt that there's a lot of very hardworking software engineers in our organisation who really, really sort of pulled together and understood how important it was. You, you know, we had a lot of staff facing very difficult customer situations, lots of staff themselves with problems in their family from covid illness and so on so the sort of feeling amongst the staff was we have to do this to support our customers this is so painful for them a lot of long hours of work a lot of effort a lot of close teamwork and um, a sense that wow look look what we can do when we really try and also when we prioritize so today's episode is with kate mayfield very calm considered and the sort of person that you would want to call in an emergency is how I feel Kate is. She's the head of delivery for digital fraud at HSBC, the large multinational bank. She's also had, she's a specialist in agile ways of working. Um, She's developed digital solutions for frontline staff. And we talk a little bit about that. She's got a really interesting kind of background because even though she's very sort of technical and very um, forward and, and, and structured in her thinking, she started as group head of marketing at Euromoney. She was a sales and marketing director at Warner Brothers. She managed her, her own consultancy and got brought into the bank because they wanted somebody who was very structured and She's got a really interesting story of what she's done, and I enjoyed the conversation. We talked a little bit about uh, frontline services to people in HSBC, which are people in call centers and retail branches, and they're in many, many different countries around the world. But we really got into what was it like trying to support a bank going through a global pandemic? How do you deal with really stressed out customers, really stressed out staff? And what happens when the culture of the organization gets tested? And it strikes me that HSBC is not unique in this, but it's a good example of an organization that when it needed to call on the deeper reserves of people, they really delivered. She makes a point that actually the reason why people did it 
wasn't necessarily because of deep loyalty to HSBC, though I think that's there, but almost like a social commitment to their own society. Because if you're dealing with customers who are stressed out, they're just citizens of the same country that you're in and you want to kind of help people. So this is a really interesting story through the uh, the global pandemic of 2020 through the eyes of Kate Mayfield at HSBC. It's great to be talking to you today, Kate, and, and just so that I understand, because you seem to have had a number of really different but interesting roles at HSBC. Could you just, do, I mean, what's your main sort of skill set, would you say? Yeah, so when I when I joined the bank, I came in as something called a delivery lead. And delivery is a, a slight twist on project management um, in a new agile world. Um, much debated topic about what that is. But broadly, um, I don't know how familiar you and your listeners are with agile ways of working, but assuming that they understand it's often about technology teams building solutions in short, sharp increments. Um, my job and those around me and my team in delivery is to kind of lay the railroad track so your small scrum team can keep going and they don't get stuck. So it might be things like approvals, um, coordinating with other teams around the bank, because um, often you have to work with multiple teams and just making sure that every two weeks they can just keep going. Hmm. OK, that's that, that's great. And, and we originally started talking about doing this podcast when you were, uh, I think, building some solutions for frontline staff. Um, and then, um, obviously, the whole um, experience of the bank with the pandemic has come in, which I'd like to get into. But could you just start off by just describing to me, because the front line of, of organizations digitally has always been very neglected, um, I feel, over, over years. And could you just describe... Um, what services you've been building for frontline staff and what you would say the experience of frontline staff in HSBC is of, of digital services and digital connections. Yeah, sure. So indeed, I was working in a small team. There are many teams that work on the solutions and technology that frontline staff use. And by frontline staff, we mean contact centres and branches and other parts of the bank. Um, some people, you know, that go out actually and talk to customers in their own homes and offices. And uh, there are sort of big legacy platforms in the bank that they have to interact with. And over the years, layers have been put on top to try and make it simpler and easier. Um, but it is something that is challenging for us because we want to give the frontline staff a great experience but the cost of change is quite high because they often run off these core banking systems is a common banking problem and and so the bits that i was working in we were trying to look at more um human interface if you like for the staff so i worked particularly on an area of tablets where a frontline staff, maybe um, somebody who's in someone's home or somebody in a branch could sit side by side with a customer and look at a screen and perhaps look at their wealth planning goals and um, interact with them. So they're both looking at the screen, seeing something visually appealing, touch screens, things like that. Meanwhile, when they're behind the, the teller behind the counter, um, what a customer doesn't need to see is what they have to deal with, which is very complex um, screens which take them into all sorts of different banking systems so we just wanted to take a step towards bringing the 
staff closer to the customer having that sort of joined up feeling and also making the experience for the staff at the same time a little better. It's going to be a long journey that, um, but we have started on it. Mm. And ha- was was what you have done with frontline staff, how important was that when the pandemic arrived um, earlier this year? So one of the other things we were doing is um, we've all heard of a system called Zoom, um, last year wasn't so well known and actually HSBC was starting to roll out Zoom at the end of 2019 internally, but also so we could talk to our customers that way. There was an increasing need to, we're very, very global. We have a lot of international customers, so we have to be able to talk to them wherever they are. So we just started rolling that out when the pandemic came along and it was um, partly my team and partly another team that were doing that. The speed at which we then rolled it out was unbelievable we've never done anything that fast i think it did help that it was obviously a vendor solution but not not a big company zoom they've grown a lot this year um and we went from you know i think probably a hundred staff using it at the end of 2019 and uh, by probably may time i would guess it was hundreds of thousands and millions of customer communications going on via zoom that was a massive shift a massive shift what are the challenges in, in scaling up even a, an external platform like Zoom from 100 people to that number and, and that number of customers? Yeah, so number one is always the safety, the privacy. So the privacy of the customer data, the safety and the security of the call. Could it be tapped into? Could people see? And also just the ones that we're all getting familiar with ourselves now. You know, you're seeing into somebody's home. You know, we had staff members working from home. We don't really want um, them talking to external people with visibility of their homes. So there's lots of sort of small things that needed to be done, giving them environments that, Actually, they could work from home and have a, you know, a detailed private conversation about somebody's wealth planning. You don't want people listening in in the background. So there were lots of COVID related challenges from doing it at home. And then on top of that, just the, uh, the governance, the due diligence that we do around the security of those sorts of systems. Um, and we did we did sort of make uh, quite a few changes early on to increase the security of Zoom. And we're using you know different versions than the ones that everybody uses the sort of free one when they're doing their pub quizzes. Um, so that was that was a real pressure. But putting putting those sorts of decisions through our governance procedures at that speed was unusual for us and definitely used a lot of agile practices, which we wouldn't normally have done for that. Yeah. Um, what did you learn from that experience? I think uh, we've all been quite shocked at how much has been achieved this year <laughs> yeah. and, and shocked in a good way. Um, you know, we're a, la- a large organisation. We've got lots of different ways of working. We're very global. Um, we work in, you know, 27 markets and more. And mm. I think both the senior leadership and the people who tried to make it happen were quite surprised that we could move so quickly. And... Um, I would say this because I am part of the digital division, but and it's an it's an emerging capability bank. It's been going a few years, but um, to operate agile practices at that sort of scale is nobody's done it at our scale. To be honest, nobody's as big. Um, so so mm. it's all it's all very well doing a small scrum operation, but when you're trying to do it across thousands of people in different places, and that's just the digital tech teams. Um, so I think 
what they learned was it works. So when they when they stress tested some quite early practices for us, it worked. They learned that there's a lot of very hardworking software engineers in our organisation who really, really sort of pulled together and understood how important it was. You, you know, we had a lot of staff facing very difficult customer situations, lots of staff themselves with problems in their family from COVID illness and so on. So the sort of feeling amongst the staff was, we have to do this to support our customers. This is so painful for them. A lot of long hours of work, a lot of effort, a lot of close teamwork and um, a sense that, wow, look look what we can do when we really try. And also when we prioritise. So the, there was very tight prioritisation quite early on of uh, the IT work, which is where I sit. So we shifted a lot of effort off things that just became less important onto new products, new services, um, things that would enable us to react to the customer need and uh, protect our protect ourselves as well, and thus protect the protect the customers by keeping ourselves um, financially secure. Yeah, and were you using particular um, agile methodologies when you were doing this, or were you was it was it so? Um, strange an experience that we've we've all been going through that that you you didn't i mean how how was your how did you approach that so um it was definitely in in the digital area and and other parts of the bank definitely agile so the ability for sort of you know you can imagine there were crisis meetings daily going on at very senior levels about what mattered and what mattered most and those messages were cascaded very effectively better than we normally do they became you know daily instructions this is what matters um, into right down the sort of food chain if you like right into the engineering teams so that when they were working sprint to sprint they could change what they were doing and they could say right all of that was stopping all of this is now what we're doing and, and you can't do that in the waterfall project style. Um, you, it just doesn't work. The, the, the mechanisms aren't in place to make those sorts of pivots. Um, so b- being able to just go straight down to a team of sort of seven or 15 going, right, the bank wants us to move our efforts into payment holidays, for example, for mortgages, making that possible to do online, do it. They had all the tools and equipment they needed to make, make those changes. Uh, and, and for sure, it, it wasn't smooth. There were problems in some areas and there were parts where we had payoffs to make, which were very difficult. Um, but yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it produced results really quickly. Very proud of us for that. Mm. Just out of interest, did you, con- when you realised how much you were going to have to scale up Zoom, did you consider moving away from Zoom to microsoft teams or another another platform that if you like had been more um common in a corporate environment well we already had um solutions in place so zoom was a a strategic choice that had been made in 2019 um so i don't think there was any doubt that it was the right one to do i think there was just a nervousness that we weren't going to do it this quickly um so yeah no i don't think there was um i don't think there was any pause and to be honest there wasn't time the, the, we, we needed to get if you can imagine, imagine for example one of one of the markets um, they market I mean like a country uh, one of the markets if they could done there was one where they were selling I think it was a unit trust or something 
immediately, you can imagine, the sales just dropped off the cliff because it required someone to come into a branch and sign something, and that was no longer possible. So we had a prototype signing capability to do remote signing. We needed a video call, and we needed to do that signing across a whole load of products. And and so we just sort of creeped into making that happen. And there's lots of regulatory stuff around that as well. Um, and if we hadn't got that nascent digital capability ready to try and expand, they'd lost, they lost millions a week um, in revenue, just one small market um, by that sudden shutdown. Um, but the ability to sort of switch to those digital tools, drag them in faster. So um, just think about, I mean, because it's something I've heard from a lot of different organisations, the the decision making, the acceleration of decision making, the cut through of bureaucracy and the fact that leaders really found this quite exhilarating, that they could decide things and actually these things then happened. Um, um, why, why was that? And also, what do what does an organisation like HSBC need to do to not lose that learning and that capability? Yeah, so it's a real it's a real challenge for our organisation because we have we have a, you know global parts of the bank where we're supposed to be building things which deliver the economies of scale, and then we have um, market entities. UK, Hong Kong, but really the PL is is the, the the sort of ownership of the PL sits there to a great degree. And we, we like to keep it that way, you know. So, you know, the head of the Hong Kong part of the bank, they're really, really close to the customers, the market, what's going on, what's needed locally. And so I think normally our decision making is quite um, lots of matrix decision making in it where we've got to keep the Hong Kong people happy, they've got things they really have to do, but we also need to keep the UK happy. And certainly from the global position, we get pulled in different ways. Um, and, and what happened with COVID is, and, and we have to make payoffs and decisions and they take time to you know weigh up and so on. What happened with COVID is that just wasn't practical. And so I think those markets were talking into a central point and that central point at the Exco level just delivered the messages down. And I don't see um, another entity like this driving that sort of ability to cut through all those competing needs. Um, I don't think that would normally happen. And whilst there are lessons learned about how we can react to a central top-down guidance, um, that won't solve for the problem of competing priorities for mm. you know massive demand for new IT, which is the case everywhere. Yeah. And, and um, would you say that this whole experience has has changed the culture of the bank and or is it too early to to know i think it's proven some of the areas which were perhaps still prototype ways of working so certainly some of the work that digital had done to try and be agile and, and other parts of the bank who are adopting those practices i think it proved that that is a very valuable skill set that we needed to have and it's paid off. The other thing is HSBC has got quite a sort of culture of caring. That's been my impression. I've been here just two years now. Um, but I've seen that in practice writ large in the organisation that the care for customers' well-being and the care for the staff's well-being were really upfront and centre. And I think it paid off. So it paid off commercially 
they've always they've always done it i think because they think it's the right thing they've had lots of reasons in the past to pay more attention to that um but it paid off both as for us as individual employees i think that we had clear and regularly repeated lines of support to to go to um but i think that's also what created the huge effort that people paid it back you know the care the company gives to us we paid it back by working extremely hard um to do everything that needed to get done very rapidly so i think i think it reinforced a culture that was perhaps some people were a little bit cynical about and made it more um valuable mm. and um I mean, how have you found the whole experience yourself personally? Because, I mean, everybody I've spoken to has been at some level challenged, affected, um, exhausted, um, uh, liberated, etc. I mean, how, how have you found the whole year personally? Yeah, so um, it was certainly challenging. So the first few months of the proper lockdown in the UK, I I found that it was it was relentless. I was working incredibly long hours, Zoom calls all day, um, as we all sort of lurched, changed our priorities, adjusted to not being able to communicate with each other. Although we do a lot of video calling anyway, because so for example, the software engineering teams I work with were in China at that time. So I was already having to talk to them, you know, that way. Um, but yes, I found it relentless, difficult and exhausting. I didn't move. Normally I'd cycle on my journey to work. I didn't move at all. I ate far too many biscuits. And um, and and the, no social break, no interaction. Um, I don't have kids, so I didn't have that to deal with as well. Um, so I found, I found it very difficult and all the time just thinking, you know, this won't be going on forever. And um, and then started things started to shift. And where I am now is I'm, I'm between house moves so my house move all got delayed and I'm sort of sitting in the corner of a living room of a small house waiting for our new house to be built desperate to have an office and thinking when I have an office and a space and a new home and in a different place and I start to build a social life locally I might feel differently about going back to work but currently I I do miss the interaction the teamwork the whiteboarding mm. but I do not miss commuting mm. so just for you on a on a personal level um in a vaccinated or increasingly vaccinated world where organizations have then got and people have then got the choice more as to what they do what 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 way would you like to um uh, shape your work uh, working week well, if we had teleportation i'd rather go to an office um, <laughs> but assuming that's right. not going to come um i would i would probably like the blended pattern where i'm in the office some days maybe two with colleagues and hopefully on the same days and they're not at home and and then some days at home um i think the uh not commuting has given me time for exercise and more health um but yeah i, I like working with teams and i like that sort of collaboration so i'd like a mixture mm. yeah and, and you mentioned um the issue of of uh people having um, obviously confidential conversations from where, where the HSBC staff are at home. Did you decide how to, uh, did you tell people they need to have a certain background uh, when they're on these calls that they need to be in a certain, I mean, what was, uh, what was the bank's kind of policy around that? And, and how did you decide 
uh, as a bank what to do about that? Yeah, so I'm not familiar with the actual policies in each country, um, but in Zoom there are virtual backgrounds, so I'm sure people are being set up to use those. Um, they probably would prefer to as well. Um, so Zoom virtual backgrounds, we've got HSBC branded backgrounds that we can all use. When you're talking to your own internal colleagues, it, it, it doesn't matter, but um, you can use them or not. It's up to you and people mess around, as you can imagine, with silly backgrounds. Um, but yeah, for 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 stuff, um, I I personally did a mortgage application with the HSBC recently for myself, and um, sure enough, the mortgage broker did do a virtual background um, to keep it out. But then she had her dog, and she's having to deal with that. So um, you know, the dog was barking. <laughs> the dog keeps, <laughs> and it also keeps sort of peering yeah. out, out of the uh, sort of digital background. Exactly. There there are some there are some things that did go on with the home staff because across across the bank um we've got many people in different countries in contact centers we weren't we're not we were not built for moving our contact center stuff to home working um we had lots of business continuity plans which were site-based so you can imagine you know something happens to london's canary wharf office they go to another office when you had the scenario we've had none of those worked we had um we, we didn't have a plan that nobody could work from the office in the whole bank. So um, there were things, there were practical examples where HSBC literally hired a helicopter to fly, I don't know how many PCs to a group of our staff in India because they just didn't have computers at home that they could use. They didn't have Wi-Fi. They didn't have any of that. And those, some of those people were work, walking like two hours because there were roadblocks in some countries and stuff to get the computer carry it home and plug it in so that it could carry on working so there were the sorts of those levels of shifts and commitment in the contact centers globally you know normally we just flip it over you know and say right well philippines can't operate we'll work it in another country but a lot of those options went away so big changes there and branch staff had a lot of cybersecurity training and different training at home um both in how to deal with stress, the stress levels of our customers, which have been very high, um, but also how to just do things differently. Some of the tools didn't work at home, things like that. I was going to I put down on my notes that Dunkirk spirit then, I mean, which is obviously something that if you're in the UK and Europe, people quote, you know, Dunkirk spirit during the Second World War was this sense of pulling together for a kind of common cause. But do you do you think that I mean, because when you're describing what happened across the bank, irrespective of where people were, whatever country they're in, that sense of a sort of Dunkirk spirit that actually people really wanted to make things work collectively. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and the bit that surprises me about that, uh, it sort of surprises me and doesn't surprise me. One is, you know, there's been a lot of talk about, well, people are not that engaged with their in or with their work and, you know, they've got sort of different feelings about their organisation. But actually when people were tested... And I think, you know, HSBC, I've heard similar stories from American Express. I've heard similar stories from Barclays. There appears to have been a collective um, digging in to make things happen um, that maybe suggests a greater commitment to their organisation or maybe it's just to the society that people live in than maybe we thought about. I think it's a lot to do with the societal commitment. I'm, I'm, I'm sure our organisation, like many, has different levels of engagement um but i think you 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 know most people i work with um 
you know, we're a bank, we have people's money, we manage their livelihoods, it's important work. And it needed to be, it, people needed to feel safe and not worried about their financial sort of management and that the bank was operating effectively. Because you can imagine how unnerving it would be to, to be worried about that. So I think we all felt a great sense of duty to deliver on those sort of promises that banks make that, you know, you're giving us your money and we're giving you, lending you money. You have to trust us. And behind that sits a load of individuals who, you know, really, really believe that stuff matters. And, you know, whether you, you rate your organisation at a particular moment in one day is one thing, but yeah, definitely a sense of sense of duty to society to, to do what a bank should do. Mm. Well, um, just as a, a, a sort of corporate experience from my own company, where I'm the CEO, CEO um, we bank with HSBC, oh, <laughs> and HSBC have been brilliant. Oh, I'm delighted. Whenever to hear it. we've needed, we're a, 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 exceptional. I'm delighted. Um, to hear it. And that's that. I, I, I just I had to remind myself that there's a connection because you obviously sort of somehow sort of separate out the two worlds. But um, no, I mean. Um, just you know everything that you're saying um yeah absolutely so i mean you talked about how do you deal with customer stress um how 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 do you deal with customer stress because i mean there's been no shortage of stress this year yeah so so one of the side effects of digital is a lot of the easy things get done digitally now especially with covid because a lot of um customer interactions shifted to digital more people signed up to mobile um app, the, the mobile apps and so on and um, started online banking so it drove a lot of people onto digital what tends to happen as a result is some of the harder um, conversations or more complicated things go to the contact centres and branches and obviously during COVID some of those were very difficult so it means that a lot of the staff, um, contact centre and branch staff are, are, are facing a lot of challenging conversations, they don't get any respite you know, nobody rings up and says can you just you know, move this money mm. from A to B it's, it's a lot of hard stuff so training, lots and lots mm. of training and also you know, stick your hand up if it's too much, step out of the call centre, a lot of that going on, lots of resilience training, changing the shift patterns so people have, um, you know, bigger breaks so that, you know, I, I don't know what the patterns are, but say hypothetically they might do two hours and then have a break, you maybe shift it to have an hour, have a break, have an hour, have a break, things like that. Um, and then right. some sort of, there were lots of sort of staff engagement things like the TikTok and God knows, God knows what else was going on there, but things that were supposed to sort of give them respite um, from it, both from home as well, which, you know, they might be working very hard and dealing with family and everything. So lots of, um, we have mindfulness, yoga, music things all going on virtually that we can join in places you can go and talk to if you've got, um, you know, domestic challenges that some people have had to face. So lots of support from the bank. We spent millions and millions on, um, looking after people in that Wow, I mean that's that, that's that's amazing, and um, I mean it, I suppose it's it's a bit of a, a, a different take on my cultural question. I mean, when we come through things of difficulty as individuals, we get stronger. So, would you say that the bank is stronger now than it uh, in 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 a sort of kind of way of dealing with people and the kind of glue of the organisation than you were before? this whole experience i i wouldn't 
wouldn't say so. I haven't been there long enough. You know, I've had a lot of my experience there has been during COVID. I I think it's it was already there and it's just manifested itself. Um, yeah, so I think I think that was part of part of the organisation already. Um, the challenges we're facing, you know, we've it's been well publicised that we've got um, restructures and reorganisations going on, and so I think. Um, credit to the people that we know we're working in that environment where there may be job losses ahead of us and there are some that have already gone on and yet um, they take it seriously um, and I think again mm. I think that speaks both to the organisation's general care of people um, but also to their their sense of duty in this environment. Yeah and and, and, and how do you think it's changed leadership inside the bank because it's a different experience I mean I've spoken to CEOs who've been working from home for six months um something that they couldn't imagine um and i just wonder do you have any sense of how leadership's going to be changed through this you know we've got some ambitious hard-working leaders in our organization they work very long hours and i think we've seen a shift in them um how would you say leading by example really to say now that you're working at home doesn't mean you should be working, you know, 20 hours a day. Um, and so there's been quite a lot of communications coming from them about look after yourselves, turn off the computer. Um, it's very easy to just keep working and, and them demonstrating how they're doing that, showing their more informal sides, partly because they have to. And then another thing that I've, they, a few of sort of leaders have commented to me is they I think they're enjoying um the leveling up that goes on so when in in the zoom world so a common scenario for me before this would have been i'd be sitting in a meeting room say in london with three or four of us in the room and then maybe some people in india and china or wherever dialed in combine combination of sound quality language barriers and that usual problem yeah, that the people yeah. in the room are talking to each other it, it it wasn't as effective for the people who were dialed in um, and maybe they didn't feel so confident, maybe in their English or something sometimes to speak up and interrupt, especially if someone's seniors in the in the room. And now you're all there. You're all equal. The head of the team, even if it's a very senior person in the bank, you're all lined up equally, can see each other. Um, and I, I, I agree with them. I think that's a quite a good leveler and it's sort of um, been more empowering for people wherever they're based, whatever level they are in the bank to sort of contributed meetings you you've now moved into a role to do with digital digital fraud yes and i appreciate you probably can't say too much about what you do now but is there anything you can say uh, about what, what you're focusing on the, the, the work i do is there's no secrets um to it unfortunately all the banks we all have to deal with it um it's, for me it's been eye-opening i'm relatively new to financial services and certainly new to this role um the amount of money that gets taken is appalling. The devious means used to get it and how the, the part I'm in is digital fraud, how these new digital channels, they create wonderful services for our customers and they create wonderful opportunities for criminals um, and seeing how much of the effort and focus of fraud work goes into trying to attack our our, our digital channels. So what, what we're trying to do is both deal with the immediate threats before us and use the best tooling and sophisticated sort of uh, analytics we can on that, but also try to look ahead and think uh, 
in knowing what we want to do with our systems and solutions around digital, we have that inside knowledge. What can we do to anticipate where the threats may be, mitigate against them? And as we develop our digital capability, make sure our digital fraud capability matches it. I mean, just on that, one of the things that, that's that's interesting when I've talked to people about security, um, uh, they talk about the human factors in security. There's the security of the system, but there's also the human security and, the, if you like, the digital literacy and digital readiness of people. I mean, do does HSBC do things to, in a way, ensure that, that, that people inside the bank are as digitally literate because often it's it's kind of human error that creates the 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 insecurity yeah so there's um is a sort of you see internal staff can commit um frauds against the bank obviously we're quite alive to that and there's a lot of things both in training awareness and um to try and mitigate those um risks Um, not least one is you know somebody might identify me as an individual a criminal and try to get me to do things in the bank by threatening me and things like that so there's lots of channels available to staff in banks to to help protect against that um and then yeah just sort of basic cybersecurity training um t- you know we have we have people who um aren't super massive digitally savvy people on the front line uh, that's not what's required of them um so we make sure they've got access to training and constant updates on how to how to be sensible um and and protect protect themselves and the customers on the customer side um there's always more to do and it's also it's a challenge i think to to do the messaging and the communications to try and help people protect themselves without both putting too much fear into them and also just making them switch off and we all know what it's like we log into our app or on online and you get these messages picking the one message that is going to be the most impactful is is one of the challenges for digital to think about that journey that experience how can we we call it adding friction put little things into the journey that will just just create a few less cases just make that little intervention which makes a difference Mm. so what what, i mean the work you do sounds really kind of demanding and stressful to me. Um, you seem like a very calm person. So is that is that uh, is that one of the reasons why you you gravitate to what seem like very complex and challenging roles? Um, thank you. I'm glad that's so calm. I, I I don't like things to be done in a panic. It is true. I like to think ahead and just. Um, you keep moving things at pace, but always thinking ahead. What's what's ahead? What's ahead? Um, I think for me, as you know, Paul, because that's how we originally met. I used to run my own business, and um, it's such a relief to have hundreds of thousands of people around me <laughs> across the bank who have vast amounts of expertise and knowledge. And between us, we can do a good job. And you don't feel the burden all sits on you. You can play your part. You can do everything you can. But as a team, I feel we're quite strong. Um, but we'll always be battling fraud and there will always be criminals. And I do have a lot of faith in my colleagues and that together we can do good stuff and we back each other up. Hmm. And that's that's really good. And, and um, so what, what motivates you in your work? So one of the reasons I wanted to do the fraud work is 
Um, it's a fascinating subject. It's, um, it's shocking what goes on, but it is very interesting, both from te the technology, the ways that you can monitor. So, for example, these days, um, you know, you might put in a PIN number to access your um, mobile app. Uh, we have tools now that will see how you type that in, what your way you do it, how slowly, how much you press, whatever. And it will recognise if that suddenly changes and seems a bit not like you. Like it's a robot, maybe. So learning about those sorts of school, those sorts of skills that they're developing in tools that they're developing to help spot when it's not you. That's really interesting. Um, it's a shocking thing to happen. It happened to my um, my great uncle recently he had a large amount of money taken out of his bank account. He's a smart man. He's digitally savvy. He's over 80. Um, wanting to see that stopped that's very motivating we you know none of us want to see customers go through that especially the elderly who are obviously um, can be more vulnerable uh, but we are all vulnerable um, so yeah it's sort of a double thing it's a very interesting topic technology wise and it's very motivating in like the desire to stop it and on top of that it costs us a lot of money so um, yeah we'd like, rather spend that money on um, better things so so it's it's a kind of ethical mission for you it's turning out to be a bit yeah i um <laughs> i hope to carry on to do it and make a dent yeah well thank you for for doing that i, I mean um you know it's fascinating you know to kind of um try and stay alert as as i do and people around me do to you know what things feel a little bit not quite right that you're you're kind of being asked to do or sort of emails that are coming or app messages or do whatsapp messages and yeah. um oh you know trying to stay alert to anything that 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 has got a little tinge of oddness to it and then trying yeah. to make sure that all the people in my family and you know other people are aware of it but um um so the question i like to end the podcasts um with um kate is is so What's a perfect working day for you? And it, it doesn't need to be another day in a global pandemic. Um, it could be, you know, but just um, what, what would it, what's a perfect working day for you? I think a perfect working day is not having to start with 7 a.m. or 9 a.m. calls with my wonderful but uh, different time zone colleagues in Asia. Um, so not having that, being able to have a little bit of look at my to-do list and then doing some good hands-on problem solving with a team fixing things unblocking things that's very satisfying and then always that precious time we rarely have to spend some time looking ahead doing the things that will build our team capability make things better for the future that's a good blend for me mm, that's great well thank you so much kate it's been um, fantastic to have the conversation anything you'd like to to add before we before we uh, end the uh, the chat no it's great to talk to you it's um, interesting to reflect on my time in the bank and what i've learned so far um my top tip for everybody on fraud is pay attention to those little messages that you click through very quickly just read them think about them and let us help you a little bit good yeah i'll remember that and um i'm sure people listening to this as well will and um, thank you so much kate thank you Digital Workplace Impact is brought to you by the Digital Workplace Group. DWG is a strategic partner covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking and boutique 
consulting services. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com.